This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Greta Thomas. And I'm Claire Hatton. And you are in the right place if you're after inspiration, uplifting stories and practical advice from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. So if you're looking to get ahead or trying to figure out what's next for you, stay tuned. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you never miss out when an episode lands. Absolutely, you have to be in the know. Now to this week's episode. Welcome, Greta. Well, thank you. And welcome to you too, Claire. Well, here we are. It's time to delve into the wonderful world of office politics. A big shout out to our coaching competition winner from a few weeks ago, Sophia from Washington, D.C., for her suggestion to make this our next how-to topic. Sophia, we really hope you enjoy this. You know, I have to admit, thinking about the topic, I wasn't really looking forward to making this episode, but something surprising actually happened along the way. My view of office politics, or more specifically, my reaction when I think of that term, has changed. I used to really cringe even hearing the term office politics and think, oh no, don't ask me for advice, I'm really bad. But I actually think the act of pulling this episode and all of the advice together has actually shifted my mindset for the better. Because I've realized, as you've so eloquently put it, and we'll come to that soon, but you've put it in our preparation, politics really is everywhere. Exactly. You're right. And actually, I'm really fascinated to hear that your reactions have changed a bit. That sounds really positive. Yeah, no, it is indeed, actually. I I feel a whole lot more positive just when I hear that term. You know, I would instinctively cringe and now I kind of go, yeah, deal with it. Fact of life. Great. If you look at how the Cambridge Dictionary defines politics, it says... Politics is the relationship within a group or organisation that allow particular people to have power over others. We would add not just power, but influence over others as well. Where the problem comes in, of course, is when individuals work specifically to improve their own status and advance their personal agenda, sometimes at the expense of others. I think nearly all of us have experienced that one at some point or another. I think that definition was really good, by the way. But on that note, there's a research survey that I unearthed by the recruitment company ADECO, and they're in Britain, and they found that 33%, in other words, one third of working Brits were unhappy at work because of office politics. One in three, it's a pretty high figure, isn't it? Yeah, crack it sure is. 
The other thing is that the term office politics is pretty broad and it could cover numerous different scenarios. So today we're going to pick three of what we think are the most common scenarios and explore how you can handle those more effectively. Those scenarios are the first one, having a bad boss. Mm. Secondly, that very common one we hear, which is when you've got a colleague or peer who is making your life a nightmare. (laughs) And thirdly, the scenario that happens when there's a change of leadership and or a change in organization strategy and you suddenly find yourself and perhaps a whole bunch of your team on the outer through no fault of your own. Well, I'm sure like me... Many listeners are nodding their heads right now, having experienced one or more of these in their working lives today. For sure. I know I have. Let's get started. Indeed. Yep. Let's get started. Firstly, as we've said earlier, don't fall into the trap of immediately assuming office politics is bad. It's not necessarily. We actually all need to practice being able to understand and navigate how organizations work. It's an important skill to develop. And I'd say this is particularly important for women, given virtually all of the systems we work in were created by men. So true. The more we understand the way things really happen and why, the better. Exactly. Another important thing for us to remember is there are only so many things we can control personally in these situations. And so keeping your focus on these things is really important. For example, you can't control how other people behave. You can only control your reaction to them. So keep reminding yourself that you always have the ability to choose how you will react to anything and try and make choices that you can look back on and feel that you have conducted yourself in a way that you'd be happy with down the track. Couldn't agree more, but it's just not so easy to control how you react though, is it? No, particularly when you suddenly feel undermined or personally attacked in the moment and you weren't, you know, you didn't see that coming. Yeah, exactly. So our advice in this situation is pause and take a deep breath and just keep having that mantra of, I will choose how to react. Don't let the other person really throw your sort of stability in how you conduct yourself. You know, there's always going to be a better strategy in the long term than blurting out the first thing that comes to your mind in the heat of the moment. You know what? That reminds me of this great line I heard by an author called Holly Weeks, Mm -hmm. who wrote a book on the topic of conversations going wrong. And she says, if you're feeling personally attacked or shocked by what someone shares with you, try saying the following. I don't know what to say. This is an unexpected. What should we do next? Oh, yeah, I like that. That's great. Okay, so we've covered two important high-level principles for navigating office politics. First, remember that office politics per se is a fact of life, not automatically a negative, so don't try and avoid it. And secondly, focus on what you can control. And remember, one vital thing that you can control is that you always have a choice about how you react to something or someone. So choose wisely. Indeed. I think it's time now, though, to explore what to do with a specific scenario, such as when you feel you have a bad boss. And Claire, I think you've got a great story to share here. I have indeed. I've actually coached somebody. Let's call him Ben. 
who had a really controlling and micromanaging boss. This boss, who I'd actually also seen in action, had, in my and Ben's opinion, an inflated sense of his own importance. You know the kind. Oh, yeah. But really, this was ultimately a mask for his really fragile self-esteem and a deep, deep feeling of insecurity, in my opinion, anyway. So essentially, if he felt he didn't have control, then he felt unsafe. And Ben really suffered quite badly as a result of his boss's politicking and insecurity. And I'll give you an example here. Mm -hmm. Ben disagreed with his boss when his boss said he felt one of Ben's team wasn't pulling his weight and should be managed out of the business. Ben pushed back and defended the employee. And at the time, Ben's boss looked as if he'd accepted it. But then about two weeks later, without any consultation, he took headcount from Ben and gave it to another manager, thereby forcing Ben to make a decision to let someone from his team go. So really, he was forced into a corner. Yeah. And the boss didn't have the courage to actually talk to Ben about it. Hmm. No, no. It was very covert. So Ben got to a point after numerous other things happened as well, where he started to act like a victim. He decided not to speak up again because it was too hard or damaging. Even when he believed passionately about something, he didn't go for a promotion because he felt his boss would just squash his application. He basically just came to work and did his job but felt very aggrieved by the situation. He got himself so stuck in a rut and felt very overwhelmed and helpless prior to us working together. I can really empathize. I can sort of imagine him feeling kind of like squashed and suppressed. No, and the interesting thing was he just couldn't do anything about it. He just came to work. He wasn't thinking about his future. He was surviving by the sounds of it. Literally surviving, mm. yeah. That sounds really tough. Now, of course, we don't have time to have a full coaching session here and now, but we do have some tips for you if you're dealing with a difficult boss. And the first tip that we would suggest is step back and spend time observing and identifying your boss's motivations. Now, I know that can sound difficult to do if you're feeling ultimate pressure of deadlines and pressure from your boss who might be micromanaging you on something. But if you can carve out time to reflect on what's motivating him or her, that will help you. Then you can figure out how you can frame what you're working on or initiatives and the like in a way that will resonate with your boss's motivations and that will help you create a win-win you might even decide to change what you're prioritizing once you've understood what really matters to your boss. The key here is to really try and understand it from his or her perspective. Yeah, great advice. Now, the second tip that we have is, as Claire mentioned with her coachee, Ben, is to really notice and be vigilant if you start to be playing the victim and dwelling on the misery of your situation too much versus actually having a more constructive sort of soundtrack in your inner voice and being constructive with yourself and thinking about what you can do. You know, the sort of questions you should be asking yourself are, what actions can you take to change this situation? Not, it's not my fault. I'm just, it's all the other person's fault. That's not a constructive scenario. Thirdly, if you feel you are being unfairly or harshly judged for your work contribution, 
then keep a record of your work and your achievements. And where possible, share what you're working on with others as backup. This kind of tactic is particularly useful if you have a boss who perhaps, for example, might try to claim credit for the work that you're doing themselves. And the fourth piece of advice is as our recent guest on the podcast, Trudy Cortez, said, and she's a senior leader at NASA, she says that sometimes in these types of situations, it really pays to seek advice from someone else, someone you trust. If it's hard to figure out, then often it helps to go get advice, ask for help from people who may have had a similar difficult situation and what they would do and how they would handle it. Sometimes it's not easy to admit hey, I don't know how to handle something, or I don't know how to do this, or I don't know the answer. It's often difficult to ask for that advice or help. Great advice from Trudy there to seek advice from others. Finally, one last tip on handling and dealing with a bad boss. If all else fails and you still can't see your way through to being happy at work, I think it's time to start job hunting. And in fact, on that note, Claire, what did your coachy Ben do? Mm, well, he's been way, way more constructive in how he's thinking about his situation, which is great. He stepped back. He thought about the lay of the land and his boss's position and tenure. And he's decided actually that it would be better for him to find a new job elsewhere rather than wait for his boss to change. Mm, interesting. Well, all the best, Ben. So that's dealing with a nightmare boss. Let's look at our second scenario now, and this is the nightmare colleague scenario. Now, we've worked with a woman, let's call her Susan, and she was in a team where one person thought they should be running a project, but the project was given to Susan. This person, we'll call her X, then went about trying to destroy Susan's confidence by talking behind her back, criticizing her decisions publicly, and questioning to her face sometimes her qualifications to run the project. It ended up after just a few months of this, not sort of surprisingly, with Susan feeling completely insecure, second-guessing her own ability, not taking decisions when she should have been, and really feeling very isolated as well. She had lots of sleepless nights and was never far from tears, and frankly, she really wasn't operating well at this stage. Yeah, Susan found this really, really incredibly difficult. And let's face it, this is a very confronting situation to be in. Absolutely. But there are things we can do to help manage this type of situation. Okay, I'd love to hear. Okay, well, so in that story, we heard Susan was feeling totally alone and vulnerable. What you need to do in these situations is try to build friendships at work and sponsors so you don't feel so isolated. Band together with others where this is possible, particularly if the colleague is making life difficult for other people as well. In Susan's case, she didn't realize it, but it turned out that others found this person really, really difficult to work with too. I bet that would have made her feel so much better if she'd realized that. Well, yeah, it did, but she didn't realize that for quite a long time. Mm. You know, and if she had realized it, she would have realized it wasn't personal and about her so much because that's how she how she took it you know it was really about the other person and their insecurities mm. so that's the first thing try to build friendships and sponsors so that you don't feel alone second 
Again, choose how you react and don't react straight away. Now, great, you've got this really great analogy, don't you, of being inside some kind of clear bubble-like shield or something? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I sort of have this image of an invisible, like a bubble, shield all around me as a sphere. So I'm standing inside a bit like a boy in a bubble, but I'm obviously a woman in a bubble. And the negativity gets stopped by this clear, you know, and invisible to them anyway, shield, but I imagine it sort of like the skin of a bubble. And keeping that negativity in my mind at this imagined distance gives me time to think about whether it's worthwhile and legitimate stuff I want to take on board or whether it's about someone's insecurities or power plays that aren't worth me kind of getting all head up about. I love that. It's it's such an interesting way of thinking about it and managing because, you know, it is really all about making sure you don't take things so personally, isn't it? Absolutely. And I have always found that, you know, very challenging, I think. So that's one of the tools I try to use. Yeah, I think many of us do. And sort of having some kind of visual tool is great. So the third thing you can try is to really try to understand, genuinely understand what's going on for this colleague. Observing and noticing their body language, their word patterns, their tone of voice, their energy, putting yourself in their shoes you know, can you figure out what's driving their behavior? I know this is really hard to genuinely understand, but put your curious hat on and just try and understand why they might be acting the way they are acting. And again, Trudy Cortez, the NASA leader we heard from earlier, says listening is key. I think that you have to sometimes be an observer of the human element. I think you have to have a pretty good read on what makes people tick, how to maneuver a situation, you know, how, what's upsetting to people, what speaks to people. At the end of the day, uh, people are human and people have dreams and hopes and desires and personal lives and those commonalities that kind of, you know, bring us all together. You just have to know sometimes how to, to play a situation. And I think that just comes over time. I think it comes from listening, active listening. More great advice from Trudy Cortez there. You know, when we feel under attack, it can be incredibly hard to then genuinely listen and seek to understand that person. When you're feeling judged or criticized, it's human nature to feel like the last thing you want to do is genuinely engage with them. But I think as Trudy has so eloquently described, it's invaluable if you can make yourself do that. Yeah, it sure is. So our tips on dealing with a difficult colleague so far are, one, don't let yourself become isolated. If you're feeling under attack, make a bigger than usual effort to build supportive friendships at work. Two, remember to be conscious and choose how you will react. Try imagining a shield. Definitely take a breath before you respond. And three, listen and try to understand what's driving the other person's behavior. And with all the tips we're sharing today, choose which ones feel right for you and your circumstances. And while we're still on Susan's story, a quick postscript from me. Oh, yeah. Interestingly, it turned out I knew the other person who was giving Susan all that grief. 
But I didn't know I did until I was having a conversation with this individual nearly a year later. Wow. And suddenly the penny dropped. Oh my God. It was just like, oh, I'm like, it's you. And interestingly, from her side of things, she was feeling hurt because she felt she had the key skills to take the role that Susan had been given. And she was frustrated by the decisions that were being made and feeling really insecure about her position in the team. Now, that does not justify her behavior, but I suspect there was a lack of communication from Susan and this other person's manager to manage the conflict. How fascinating. You don't often get to sort of see or hear both sides of the story like that. And no. So often there is a an understandable human reaction driving this kind of behavior. But yeah, fascinating. Well, we've shared a lot of different tips and there's just one final one I think we really ought to uh, share and it's a really important one and it's quite universal I think for this scenario and other scenarios as well. The more you can work on your own sense of worth and value, then the easier it becomes to endure colleagues who you believe are making your life harder. And listen to this advice from one of Australia's most highly regarded female CEOs and chairs, Anne Sherry. I think for me anyway, I'm clear about who I am and what I stand for. So there's something about being strong in your own core and thinking about who you are. Because people staring at me, it's like, so what? I am pretty thick-skinned about that. I think it's irrelevant. And while it's uncomfortable, it doesn't influence my view of who I am and it doesn't deter me from what I think I'm doing either. And so I think at the core of that is just who are you? If other people can knock you off your perch by staring at you or saying something terrible about you, then you've got to work out who you are in that because that means you're not anchored anywhere. I love that advice from Anne. And it's just so important, isn't it? Absolutely. Not just when you're feeling worse for wear due to office politics. No, no, definitely. It's a, it's That's just a really fundamental, important, core, personal skills, not quite the right word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know. I absolutely do. Well, let's look at our third scenario now. And that is that awful feeling when you're going merrily along at work, things are going really well, and boom. <laughs> suddenly a higher level strategy or a leader changes and the work you're involved in may not be prioritized anymore or your boss loses favor due to new leadership higher up the ladder. You're a pawn in other words. Uh, yeah, boom. Well, that happened to me actually. I was working in a job I loved and then our company was acquired by a multinational and everything we were doing had to be paused. And we were just sitting in limbo for months, literally months, and trying to understand what the new priorities and politics would be. It was really destabilizing and unsettling time. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, you'd sort of, you would think if you had like months of basically being told not to do anything that that would be quite fun, but it's actually the opposite. Yeah, no, it's that lack of certainty, isn't it? Yeah. Well, another example of this is when a new CEO joins and your whole area or your boss is clearly out of favor with the new regime. We both recently coached someone, shall we, let's call her Julie. Yep. Shall we? Who watched her boss be isolated and his whole remit restricted over about 18 months. 
Not only did Julie feel upset for her boss, it also meant that her work became much more narrow and not very interesting. She also felt that the new people the CEO had brought into the business were not her tribe. And she felt a constant sort of struggle to be appreciated. Yeah. And then the CEO pulled Julie aside one day and told her that she needed to get better at lobbying in this instance, something that Julie could do, but she didn't really enjoy or have any appetite to make that a bigger part of her career in the future. The CEO also advised Julie that she should probably be looking for another role elsewhere because the organization wasn't going to be valuing her current skills. And, you know, it must have been quite a shocking conversation. The CEO gave her sort of a year to look for another role. Now, not surprisingly, this really hit Julie's confidence as she felt, not necessarily rationally, very inadequate because the CEO had told her she should look for another role. I certainly understand that may not be rational, but it's completely understandable. You feel quite rejected when something like Mm, that happens. For sure. But what then happened is Julie started second-guessing herself and her work continually and felt as if she should be able to prove herself worthy even though this wasn't about her or her skills at all. It was about the organization's new strategic direction and a complete change in priorities. Yeah, and this scenario happens all the time, doesn't it, in the cut and thrust of corporate life? Yeah, it really can. I, you know, I've lived through it at least once. Yeah, well, you know, the news is constantly full of headlines of CEO X or CEO Y being fired as the board wants to change direction, you know, and that's legitimate. There's nearly always a consequence when a new CEO joins an organization. Absolutely. So what can you do about it? This is the question. Well, as we've said earlier, focus on what you can control. If there's a new CEO and they've said they want to change direction, the odds are you're not going to change that. So don't waste your energy grieving about that change or whinging or trying to persuade otherwise. Work out how to move on. This is also a scenario to step back and think about your broader personal career goals. If like Julie, you're being asked to redirect your time and efforts on activities you know you don't want to do and you can't see an end to that, then it's likely that it's time to dust off that CV and start job hunting. Indeed. If it's a case of a strategy or high-level leadership change and there is still potential to do the work that you enjoy or love but under new leadership, then spend time reflecting on where the power sits now and build alliances and relationships accordingly. Also, Work on increasing your visibility and make sure that your work is relevant to the new strategic priorities. So, Gret, what did you do after all those months of limbo when the company you were working for was acquired? Well, I waited and explored what options there might be for me under the new regime and organisation. And in this particular instance, my small unit had been looking at M&A and potential acquisitions and partnerships So it eventually became clear that our unit was going to be disbanded and no longer needed. And I knew I didn't want to go back into the business. So in parallel in my last two or so months in that role, I had been job hunting. And in fact, that's what I did. I jumped ship to take a new role elsewhere that came up. Mm, Sounds smart. Yeah, well, I knew I didn't want to go into a different type, that type of role that would have been available. Yeah, well, sometimes you just have to accept that 
the higher level organization changes means that you then need to create change for yourself, don't you? Exactly. And that's exactly what I, I did. Well, that's this episode nearly finished. We've covered a lot of content here. Indeed, we have. We recommended two high level principles. Firstly, to not automatically shirk away from or assume office politics is a negative. Politics, as we heard, is simply a fact of life. All organizations and groups have it in some form. Learning how to work within these systems is very important. It certainly is. And our second high-level principle was to not waste time fretting about things you can't control. Instead, focus on what you can control. And a key example of that is controlling how you react to circumstances and events. Remember, take a deep breath before you lash out or react in a a way you might regret later. Then we covered three different scenarios and shared ideas for how to handle each one of those in turn, from having a bad boss to the nightmarish colleague and coping when a key leader or strategy in the business changes and you're feeling left high and dry. So I think our final parting words on this topic should be to keep remembering you have choices, even if it's simply the choice, as I mentioned earlier, of how you feel and react as events unfold. Because the more you feel that sense of agency and control, the easier it will be for you to think clearly and constructively on your best next steps and options in any circumstance. Exactly. Don't let politics happen to you. Study it and manage it. Yeah, you've got this. Absolutely. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for our next episode featuring the amazing Vicky Saunders, CEO of SheEO which is yeah. a bit of a mouthful, but <laughs> well it's done. an amazing, amazing women's funding network. Have a great week. Certainly is a great network. Ciao for now, everybody. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.